I'm going to pull us back together here. Well, we were uh, one of the churches that did not have a gathering last week, and so whether you were here two weeks ago or not, uh, we probably can all use a little refresher on the new sermon series that we are in right now. Uh, we're walking through the Old Testament book of Jonah. So let me give a little brief reca recap of where we were last week or two weeks ago, and, uh, and then we'll jump into the couple of verses that we're looking at today. So, Jonah is a prophet of God, a and so basically he is a mouthpiece for God to the nation of Israel. His job description is to go to Israel and to call people back to God. A as they're living in sin, he is charged with warning people, hey, stop doing what you're doing, turn back to God, confess, turn from your sin and turn back to God. And so, Jonah's called to the nation of Israel, but he has a really unique call, especially from other prophets to Israel, because he was also called to a Gentile nation. So a couple weeks ago, we talked about how he was called to the nation of Assyria, and specifically the city that would become the capital of, of, of Assyria, which is Nineveh. And we talked about how Nineveh, the city, the people there, that it was a bloodthirsty people who thrived on the inhumane treatment of their enemies, okay? And so where this really drives home for Jonah is the fact that one of Nineveh's or Assyria's enemies, close enemies, is Israel itself. And so for Jonah, this made his call to go to these people and warn them of what they're doing wrong and to turn from their wrong, it, it made it abhorrent. He, he, he hated it. So, but to make matters even worse for Jonah is the fact that we learn that he is a nationalist. So, what this means is he loves his country to the exclusion of others. He, he can't see his country doing wrong, and he can look at other countries, and he can, he can say uh, they don't do anything right. So, he loves his country even when they do wrong, and he hates other countries. So, he had hatred in his heart then for Nineveh, the place where he was called to go to. So he didn't want to play a part in delivering them. Rather, he, what he wanted to do was play a part in destroying Nineveh. We talked about in our points of gospel application how God's word was driving this whole situation. Okay, It was God's word that called Jonah to go to Nineveh. And in this, that God's word ultimately should be driving our lives as well. We also saw how in God calling Jonah to Nineveh, that God's first response to evil was grace. So he's looking at this nation who's doing unreal wickedness, okay? And his response is not just to destroy them, but he's sending one of his own to go there and to warn them, to say, turn from the things that you are doing, and so, God's first response to evil is grace. And then, lastly, we were challenged with the reality that God leads us to places and to people that we would prefer to avoid. But God leads us to those places and to those people for our good. Because he's going to expose stuff in 
us, but he's also leading us to those places and to those people for their good as well. It's for the good of everyone. It's not just like Nineveh needed this. What we're going to learn is that Jonah needed this just as much as Nineveh. So, we looked at God's call to Jonah to go to Nineveh, and now today we really get to look at his response, or at least his, the first part of his response to God's call on his life. So, we're going to read Jonah 1, so if you've got a Bible or a device you want to turn or swipe there, you can do that. Uh, you can also follow along on the screen behind me if you want. I'm going to read the first four verses, so we're looking at verses 3 and 4 today, uh, but I'm going to read the first four verses just for context. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Okay, so one, just kind of, we talk at times here about kind of symbols in the Bible and, and how God uses certain people and places and things to kind of drive home uh, different levels of the story. So one different level of the story that we can pick up on right here is when you look biblically at the idea of, the, of, of a sea or an ocean, what's oftentimes communicated is chaos or evil. That's what the, the sea or the ocean oftentimes stands for. So already we should be thinking, okay, this is what Jonah's going into. Okay, he's heading into evil. He's heading into chaos. Okay, so I want to start with verses 3 and 4 here and just talk a little bit about a structural component of these two verses. So verse 3 begins, but Jonah, but Jonah, okay? This does not bode well for Jonah, because what we know in the first two verses is that God has given him a clear command, right? And immediately we hear defiance, but Jonah. So if a child is given instruction by their parent, and the first word out of that child's mouth is but, things are going to get real, Real quick, right? Between the parent and the child. So if the child is like, but I'm tired, but it's not fair, but I don't want to, the child needs to learn obedience, very much like Jonah needs to learn obedience as well. So Jonah responds with defiance to his authority. And then at the beginning of verse 4, what we find there uh, is God's response to Jonah, but the Lord. So now we've got these two competing entities, right? But Jonah, but the Lord. So this isn't going to go well for Jonah. Don't bet on Jonah in, in this competition. So verse 3, then back to verse 3, it begins, But Jonah rose to flee. But Jonah rose to flee. So uh, one thing is you read the Bible, what you find is that there's a major emphasis on the idea of resurrection. Okay? So what we find here in Jonah already a couple times is we've heard resurrection language, okay? So verse 3 says Jonah rose to flee. If we go back 
to verse 2, we find there, as God is sending or calling Jonah to Nineveh, he says, arise. Arise and go to Nineveh. So what, what we're getting here is kind of two different ways to pursue life. Jonah didn't like God's plan. So he thought he would try and create his own preferred version of life. So Jonah's attempt to resurrect his situation finds him fleeing away from the place that God told him to go, Nineveh. So we're going to throw a map up here, and this is going to give you a little picture of how explicit Jonah is in his disobedience, in his effort to try and resurrect his own life. He was going to go as far as he possibly could in the opposite direction of where God instructed. So it's not as, li- as though Jonah's just going down the coast, right? Like, ah, two miles down the coast. Like, he is being very blatant here. I am going to go in the exact opposite direction of where God wants me to go. And then the author highlights Jonah's decision and how there is a cost that's attached to his decision. So verse 3 mentions, it mentions that Jonah paid the fare for the trip. So Jonah determined in his mind, when God calls him to go to Nineveh, he's determined there's a cost for me to go to Nineveh. And very likely, based on what I know, it could cost me my life. And so he determines that the cost for him to go to Nineveh is too much. He's unwilling to pay that cost. But it's not as though the other options that are laying before him, that there's no cost, that, that those are without cost either. He has to pay a fare to get on this boat. And this is just the beginning of the costliness for Jonah. And, and this is true for us as well. Like, every time we sin, there is a cost for us. Every single time. And sometimes the cost doesn't look like a cost, right? I mean, I think about Jonah, or Judas, in the New Testament, okay? As he is betraying Jesus, there's a cost to this. But in that cost, he's being paid, right? He's getting paid. Yet that payment to him is actually a great cost that he's going to have to pay later on. And so the reality is, even at times for us, when we would look at sin, it looks good to us. And and we would say, I want to chase after that, or there's a benefit. It seems to be there's an apparent obvious benefit for us, that even in that, that there could be a significant cost. There will be a significant cost for us when we chase after sin. The author also begins an emphasis in verse 3 here that's going to be repeated in this story over and over. It says that Jonah begins a descent down to Joppa. He's going down to Joppa. We're going to revisit Jonah's downward descent in subsequent weeks, but what I want to, I just want to point out this week that this is starting. And, and notice, this is starting as he's trying to resurrect his life. So he's trying to act in a way that's going to raise him up. And the author is painting this picture that he is going down. So there's this contrast that the, the author is trying to paint for us here. And this downward descent implies the cost to Jonah for his decision. Now, the primary cost is brought out through repetition in verse 3. So Jonah isn't merely running from Nineveh, okay? Nor is he just 
running to Tarshish. Most pointedly, the author wants us to know that Jonah is running away from the presence of the Lord. He's running away from the presence of the Lord. What's playing out in front of our eyes was true of Jonah prior to his little journey that he's taking or trying to take to Tarshish. He was already headed to Tarshish in his heart. His nationalistic aspirations for his country, his racist tendencies, his superiority complex, complex as he would look down on those that he viewed as beneath him. This is now all just being exposed. But nothing has changed in Jonah's heart. Okay? We're just now being able to see him for who he really is. And who he is is a man who hates those who are not part of his country. And this reality is putting him in danger. Because he's choosing wickedness. He's choosing against what God has called him to do and to be. And this decision to flee away from the presence of the Lord, it's exactly what happened at the very beginning of the Bible with Adam and Eve. Like Adam and Eve, Jonah was faced with a proposition. And as he looked at the proposition, as Adam and Eve looked at the proposition, they looked at what God called them to, what God commanded, and the good and the right decision to them looked evil. It looked like something that they did not want to do, that they did not want to engage in. And so the the decision was made against God's instruction for them. And when Adam and Eve sinned against God, we read in Genesis 3-8 there, it says, They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God. So Jonah is going to Tarshish. He's going away from Nineveh, but more importantly, we must understand where he is fleeing from. He is seeking to hide from, to flee from, away from the presence of the Lord. Now Jonah's effort to remove himself from God's presence is effective in one sense. There is spiritual separation, okay? And so in that sense, Jonah is effective in separating himself from God. Sin will always separate us from God. Sin will always drive a wedge between us. It will break relationship between us and God. But in another sense, Jonah's undertaking to move away from God is altogether futile. It's ineffective. And that's what we see demonstrated in verse 4 here. So Jonah pays the fare to head away from where God called him to. And he begins to sail in the opposite direction. But what he finds is the work of God is still consuming him. It says in verse 4 that God hurled a great wind upon the sea. And interestingly, the word that's used for great, to describe the wind here, great, is the same word that's used to describe Nineveh in verse 2. So Nineveh was a great city. And now, God is throwing this great wind upon Jonah. It's like he's trying to escape Nineveh, but it's still there. He, He can't get away from it, but more importantly, God is still there. 
though he's trying to run away from God, God is still there, and, and he can't get away from his presence. In one sense, yes, but not in an ultimate sense. He can never run away from God. So Jonah likely thought he was avoiding a storm by choosing to not go to Nineveh. But the reality is, the storm found him regardless. Tim Keller used to be a pastor in New York City. He says this, every act of disobedience to God has a storm attached to it. There might be times that we feel like God's calling us to something that's, that's going to be a storm. And so we, we try and avoid it to get away from it. But, but in our sin, in trying to run away from God, there's going to be a storm attached to our sin. We're not going to be able to flee the ultimate storm. Disobedience towards God puts us and others in danger. Now, this isn't how Jonah looked at the situation right? Like he's just fleeing from real danger. Because he looked at Nineveh, and what he saw was a red blinking sign in capital letters that said danger. And he's saying, I don't want to go there. My life is on the line if I go to Nineveh. But his perception was not to be trusted. Just like Adam and Eve's choice to eat the piece of fruit, what they all needed to trust was the word of God what God was calling them to do. Not, not even their interpretation of that. Not whether they liked it or not, but what they needed to trust was God's word. But because it wasn't heeded, danger ensued. And we find this danger being directed right at Jonah and his shipmates. The word for hurl that's used here is the same word used when someone would hurl a weapon. So God is throwing this storm right at Jonah. He wants Jonah to see that his choice is reflective of a heart that is fleeing from God, that is far from God. And this is not good. Th this is not safe for him to run away from God. Now it's true that God, when we follow him, he's going to lead us into places that are not going to be always safe. But when we're in him, when we're trusting him, when we are obedient to him, that is ultimately the safest place we can be. So Jonah's running from Nineveh confirms our suspicions from last week. This reality that he hates Nineveh, absolutely hates them. He refuses to give mercy. God says, go and tell them to turn from their sinful ways. And he says, I will have none of that. I'm going to go as far away from them as I possibly can. He knows in his heart that Nineveh deserves judgment, that they deserve condemnation, and that's the only reason he would want to go to Nineveh, is if it's to deliver judgment and condemnation to them. I was thinking about this this past week, actually a couple weeks ago, uh, and this idea that how evil does a person need to be before they deserve judgment or condemnation? For Jonah, Nineveh was clearly in that spot, right? They'd crossed the line. W whatever the line was, they were far beyond it. They deserved judgment and condemnation. But how about us? 
Where's that line for us when we determine that person deserves to be judged, that they deserve condemnation? There's probably some lines that we would all agree on, like a Hitler, right? Or maybe like an ISIS terrorist, maybe a, maybe a mass murderer. But, but where's that line for you? A drunk driver, someone who, who drives, uh, and this is not even a drunk driver, but just someone as you're in your commute or you're driving along the road and they drive in a way that offends you or upsets you, hacks you off in some way. Have they crossed the line? Is it, is it someone who gossips about you, who speaks ill of you? Have they crossed the line? Do they deserve judgment? and condemnation? Or how about someone who beats you out for a job? Or maybe someone who disobeys you? Maybe for kids, maybe it's somebody who's grabbed your stuff, grabbed a toy, grabbed your possessions, your treasures. Where's the line for you when you deem someone deserving judgment and condemnation? And how does that line compare to the line that you want for yourself, where you want grace? I, is there disparity between the line that you draw for yourself and the line that you'll draw for somebody else? So we've got this man. He, he's drawn the line in the sand, Jonah has. God's called him to go to Nineveh, and he has made very clear, I don't want to go there. I I want to go in the opposite direction of Nineveh. I want to have no part of helping them be saved or delivered from their evil deeds. So what I want to do is I just want to take the next number of minutes and I want to talk about, uh, I have three points of gospel application. And, and I just want to work through these couple of verses and some things that we can learn about Jesus. So, we, we do gospel application here at Center Church, and, and what we mean by that is when we get to an end of a, at the end of a sermon, ultimately when you walk out of here today, we don't want you to feel like we've just put a yoke on your shoulders. That now you've got all these things you need to do to measure up, to be approved in God's eyes. The gospel is good news because Jesus has taken that upon himself. And so we do what's called gospel, what we call gospel application because we don't just want you to walk out of here with to-dos. We want you to walk out of here saying, this is who Jesus was. This is what Jesus has done for us. I need to believe in him. Not believe in the things I need to do, but believe in who he is and what he has done for us. And at times that will translate into us doing things as well. But what you'll find far and away is that our points of gospel application are focused on this is Jesus. This is who he is. This is what he has done. Believe in him. Believe in him. And all that other stuff will take care of itself if we are rooted in the gospel. Okay. So first point of gospel application. Jesus is the better Jonah. Jesus is the better Jonah. The point of the Bible is Jesus. It's not Jonah. Jesus said this in Matthew 12, 41. He said, something greater than Jonah is here. He's talking about himself. He's saying, I am greater than Jonah, and I am here. 
Jonah and Jesus were both given a call to go and preach to evil people. And in this call, there was a guarantee that they would be despised and rejected by the people that they were going to preach to. Now, sinful Jonah, he would deserve that response. He would deserve to be rejected. But sinless Jesus did not deserve to be rejected. We find Jonah proudly fleeing away from where God called him to, whereas Jesus humbly obeys God's call to go to sinful people. Jonah refused to become a servant, but Jesus served. Jonah sought to create a better life for himself. In essence, what Jonah is doing is he is seeking to save his own life. He's trying to create his own form of salvation. But Jesus knowingly chose death and gave up his life for his enemies. Not for people who even deserved it, right? But for his enemies. During his life, Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. This is what Jesus did. He denied himself, and then he calls his followers to do the same. We follow Jesus, the better Jonah, by dying to self and trusting in him. That's the key, trusting in the greater Jonah. And the paradox here is that we die so that we might find true life. Jonah didn't want to die at the hands of the Ninevites. He thought that would be like the worst idea of existence. But that may have brought him what the true life that he was really yearning for. Because that's what we're all yearning for. We're all yearning for true life. Jonah tried to do the impossible. He tried to create life or salvation on his own. To create life outside of Jesus. And, and we read in the New Testament, Jesus is life. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He is life itself. And the reality is we oftentimes emulate, jo emulate Jonah, right? We run to many different things looking for life and fulfillment and satisfaction. The reality is the call for us this morning as well is to look at Jonah and to see his foolishness. And see the, the ways in which we chase after, whether it's, it's food or, or whatever the idol might look like for us. It's going to be different for all of us. When we chase after that thing, it ultimately isn't going to get us, give us what we're looking for. So we look at Jonah, we see his foolishness, and then we look at Jesus and we see the superiority of who he is and what he has done. Romans 5.8 states this, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While Nineveh was still sinners, Jonah ran away from them. While we are still sinners, Jesus runs to us and dies for us. Verses like this, like Romans 5.8, are written about Jesus and only Jesus for a reason. Because only he accomplished what we need for this. He is the only place we go to trust for forgiveness of sin, for salvation. The reality is, God led Jonah where he did so that he would find 
true life. And, and God's going to lead us to our Ninevehs as well. And the call for us is to heed the word of God. To go where God calls us so that we can find true life, even as we die to ourselves, even as we might physically die as well. But in that, that we would find life as God intends for us. And so as we see that Jesus is the better Jonah, the call for all of us is to believe the gospel. Believe in the one who ran to Nineveh, a Nineveh-like existence. He ran to it. He was enshrouded with darkness and evil to the point where he was killed by it. He did what Jonah would never do for us so that we might find true life. So the call for us is to trust in the better Jonah. Secondly, the good that we do may be evil in the eyes of God. The good that we do may be evil in the eyes of God. You might hear that and be like, what? What is that? That doesn't make any sense. Isaiah 64, 6 says, Our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. Our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. Lastly, last week, we wrestled with the question, Who is God calling you to? Who is your Nineveh? Now, Jonah, as he looks at Nineveh, he is right to think that Nineveh is wicked. Because God said it too, as well. He said they're wicked, and that's why Jonah needs to go and preach there. But his attempt to stay clean, to be righteous by staying away is wrong. So implied in this idea is that Jonah thinks Nineveh is evil, and I don't want to contaminate myself with that evil. So I'm going to go to a place where I won't touch that evil, where I, I won't be affected by that evil. There is somewhere else I can go where I won't be tainted by that evil. But what's really interesting here is God calls Jonah into evil. He calls Jonah to go to that evil place. And Jonah runs away. Now, some of us may stay away from evil people or places, and it may be in conflict with God's call on our lives. When we run from the places God calls us with the gospel, what we do is we dismiss and we disobey, we diminish this call that he's put on our lives. A and the result is we don't merely run from a person or a place, but we are ultimately running from God's presence. When we run from that person or that place that God has called us to, we're running from God's presence. If we aren't going to places or having conversations that make us uncomfortable, that force us to rely on Jesus, there is a very good chance that we are not going to the places where God has called us. And, and whatever we're trying to avoid, whatever the fear that might be there attached to us trying to avoid this certain person or this place, that's not going to go away. It, it's still always going to be lurking, but now it's going to be accompanied with this reality that I'm doing the exact opposite of what God has called me to do. So it's just going to compound the reality for us. 
It'll compound the anxiety that we already feel. The call for us, don't run from God. And, and the reality is when we do run from God, this is actually a form of hatred towards others. So we're saying, I'm going to prioritize myself over this person. I'm going to prioritize myself over what God has called me to, but, but that means I'm prioritizing myself over these other people as well. I'm not willing to engage in that conversation, to go to them in the way that they need, and that's hatred. So sometimes we might justify not going to a certain place or a certain person because it, we just deem that person or that place as not Christian. What we learn from Jonah in these couple of verses is that it might be more wicked for you, for me, to run from a sinful reality than it is for us to run to a sinful reality. It might be more wicked for us to run from evil than it is for us to run to evil. God might be leading us in a direction to a person, to a place, one for the, the person or the place, right? Like they need to hear the gospel, but he's most likely leading us to that place because we need it as well. We're just like Jonah. Maybe he wants to expose our legalistic hearts, the fact that we might think that we're better than somebody because we don't participate in this thing. We're, we stay away from that grotesque evil. God ultimately might want to help us understand that our goodness is actually evil. I was having a conversation with someone uh, about a year ago, and they were sharing with me about this men's group that they were in. And this men's group was basically uh, an opportunity for these guys to, they're college roommates and buddies, and they'd get together and, and they'd talk about the Bible some, and, and there was uh, a component of accountability uh, in terms of looking at like porn and, and things like that. And so this group would get together on a regular basis. And this individual was sharing with me frustration uh, regarding that there'd really been no change in years. Th this is something that had been going on for, uh, I want to say close to a decade, but uh, it was in the range of five to ten years. And these guys would come regularly, they'd do this thing, uh, but then there was really no change. There was no deepening of relationship, and it had kind of turned into just kind of a, a religious exercise or an activity where guys would just get together and, and have breakfast. A and maybe it was kind of checking a box. Oh, I've, I've kind of done that, that Christian thing for this week. A and so as we talked about this, and I got a better understanding of what was really going on, I actually encouraged him to, to just dip out of that, to exit it, and, and to use his time in a better way by like loving his wife and serving her, spending time with her or eating breakfast with a non-Christian uh, because what was going on is, is it was just a meaningless religious activity for this individual. Th there was nothing profitable, and th this was, was his word, there's nothing profitable going on in this situation. Now, I want to be really clear. A as God might call us away from certain places and to other places, He's not going to call us to places so that we have a license to sin. So, like, if, if someone's struggling with a porn addiction, he's probably not going to call you to a, a strip club, right? Like, to be the person that's, that's doing the ministry, that's waiting outside the strip club to give 
uh, care baskets to the strippers as they come out. He's, he's probably not going to call you there, right? He's probably not going to call the alcoholic to the bar, right? Like, that's probably not the best place for people to go. But the reality is this. Avoiding sin, avoiding seedy places will not get the gospel there. To go to people who need the gospel ultimately usually is going to require us to venture into something that might make us uncomfortable. It might not be a nice Christian environment. And you know what? We need to learn to be able to convey the gospel, the good news of Jesus to those people in those environments. It's not easy. It's going to be hard. It's going to be messy, but, but that's where the gospel is needed. So Jesus is a better Jonah. And secondly, the good we do may actually be evil in the eyes of God. Lastly, storms are hard, even horrific, but they can also present us with great opportunities. As Jonah is given a charge to extend kindness to his bitter rivals, and as he finds himself in the midst of a, so a storm that is crashing down on him, it's really unlikely that he's going to find himself in a spot where he'd be excited to thank God for his current reality, right? Like, he's not going to sit there in the storm and be like, oh, this is exactly what I need, God, right? Like, that's, that's probably not going to cross his mind. And yet, if we know the greater story of the Bible, that would be the most appropriate response for him in the midst of that storm. Think of verses like Romans 8, 28. It says there, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. So as Paul, the author of that verse, is writing all things, he, he's including the storms of life. And he's saying all things, including the storms of life, will be worked for our good according to God's promise. Hebrews 12.11 says, No discipline seems pleasant at the time. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. The discipline hurts, right? It stings. It stinks for those going through it. It's hard. And yet, what the Bible says is that God's discipline will produce a rich harvest. It will produce peace in lives that are filled with conflict and chaos. It will produce lives that are marked by righteousness, even as we live within a sinful reality. And, and the last example that I'll give here is the cross. The cross is the ultimate example of a storm that provides us a great opportunity. The cross is the greatest storm ever, ever. But out of it has come the greatest good for humanity. It's where true life is found for us. It's where freedom is found. If Jesus didn't run into that Nineveh-like experience and hang on the cross, run into the darkness, th then we never would know what life is like. We'd never have that offer given to us. Life is found ultimately in and through Jesus' death on the cross. And the reality is God sent this storm that is enveloping Jonah and his shipmates. God is the one that's in control here. 
And I think that this is intended to provide a ton of hope for us. Whatever storm we encounter in our own lives, and, and the reality is, I know of plenty of storms going on in your guys' lives, and what that means is I don't know many more of those storms as well. There's a lot of storms represented in this room right now, but whatever storm we encounter, whatever storm we find ourselves in, we need not despair. We might weep, and we might weep for a very long time. We might not know the answer why we go through that storm. We might not know the answer why for a long time or ever on this side of eternity. We may long for a result other than we have, but hope should never fade for a Christian. What would life be like if God was not in control, if there was no hope for our circumstance, if all of this was just meaningless? We would drown in despair. We should drown in despair. But if we are a Christian, this should not be our reality. We should never drown in despair. Weep, yes. Hurt, yes. But we should never drown in despair. We should never grieve as those who have no hope whatsoever because the reality is God is in control and he promises to take the storms of our lives and to work them for our good. So the call for us in that is to trust him, to trust his word, to trust his promise, to root and ground ourselves in the good news of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, thank you for these reminders that we find veiled in the Old Testament, and yet when we understand the greater story of the Bible, we can see how Jonah is pulling the story forward towards Jesus. And so God, I pray that you would help us this morning, help us to see our need for Jesus. Even as we sing these, these songs, we think about these words, I pray that you would drive home to us this fact, we need you. As we were singing earlier this morning, we need you, God. We need you more than we even realize right now. And so, God, I pray that you would open our eyes, help us to understand, help us to hope and trust in you. Remind us of the goodness, of the beauty of the gospel this morning. As we hear it again, for however many times we've heard it in our lives, I pray that you would unveil our eyes and give us the ability to see it. Let it hit us with weight, with impact. Help us to understand that there is glory found in it. And that is where we need to root ourselves. That is where we need to camp out in our lives. So God, call us to yourself. Give us faith in you and only in you for your glory and for our joy. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I'm going to invite you guys to stand with us and we're going to take a few moments. We're going to reflect on the fact that Jesus went to a Nineveh-like reality to come to us and he experienced the worst of what Jonah may have imagined for himself. But Jesus did it willingly. So we're going to sing some songs and we're also going to observe the Lord's Supper, communion. This is a time for us to examine our hearts to confess our sins to God and to one another, to pray with each other. So if you've 
never trusted in Jesus, in his sacrifice on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins, then the bread and the cup are not for you. But we want to be really clear. Jesus is for you. And Center Church is for you. And so we want to invite you to trust in Jesus this morning. For those of us who have trusted in Jesus as Savior, we want to invite you while the worship team plays to take the bread and the cup, which signify Jesus' beaten body and shed blood for your sin. And you can do that at that little table in the back. Let's sing together.